0: Thank you to Dr. Harry Cooper for your rendition of our theme, and welcome to episode <laughs> 33 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we talk about the best Australian comedy show of the 90s ever made, The Late Show, and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and joining this podcast today is Alison, Daniel, and Kim.
1: Hey.
0: And we're on a roll here. We've got another special guest reviewer, comedian, writer, podcaster, radio everything, and Tony Martin geek Natalie Bohensky. big
2: oh, yeah. oh, round of applause. I'm so honoured. <laughs> give you a real one. But...
0: <laughs> so, um, please explain how did you stumble upon the Late Show? How did you become a fan of the D Gen?
2: Well, I was probably. The first memory I have have of the D-Gen is going to a friend from school's party, mm-hmm. I think when I was in year six or seven, and he had a tape of The Late Show and was telling me, oh, it's really good, it's really good, and played the um, the Billy Ray Cyrus takeoff. soggy will <laughs> <Back in laughs> well, you well, heart. ouchie ouchie heart. ouchie heart. Sorry, it escaped my escaped my brain there for a moment. But I never watched it live. I was too young, I think. And I think mm. for the age that I was, which was about 11 or 12, I think you kind of needed to have your parents be into it and let you stay up. And my parents just had no uh, knowledge of it. And if my dad had seen it, he'd probably go, oh, this garbage. <laughs> what are they doing? Um, <laughs> uh, having said that, my dad is like a Monty Python fan and that kind of stuff, so he just you know it was just
3: like everything's garbage
2: long story anyway I became a super obsessed Martin Malloy fan that's really my gateway drug um, yeah. to Tony mm-hmm. Martin and through that I then went to the uh, video store good old video easy and rented the <laughs> best of the late show volumes one two and three so I kind of got into the late show uh, through the video clips which of course are the Highlights, You know, they're all the, the best bits that they were happy to, to put out for in perpetuity. Um, so, yeah, I just became uh, massive. I don't know how it happened. It kind of happened gradually just from listening through 1995, the first year of Martin Molloy. By the end of '95, I was like a diehard tragic. And, in fact, in my room to this day, I have a box of about 140 C90 cassette tapes.
0: Oh, yes, that
2: <laughs> all of Martin Malloy on and uh, whenever I and it it, well it was basically whenever I got home from school if I was doing rehearsals or sports after school I couldn't do this but if I was home I was in my bedroom going I'm doing my homework and Mm -hmm. I would just have Martin Malloy on I would be recording it stopping for the songs stopping for the ad breaks then I was basically curating my own podcast uh, Mm -hmm. in the uh, mid to late 90s and then I would just re-listen to them over and over again so so much of That show is like burned into my memory from repeated years of just putting the tapes in the car when I got a license and went to uni. And I would drive to uni every day just listening to them. (laughs) And so it probably was a good, well into the 2000s before tape decks started, you know, falling away and being, you know, carrying around 20 tapes at a time in my car um, got a bit old. So I just put them away safely. And when my parents sold up their house a few years ago, they said, "You need to come and take these, or we're throwing them out." And I was like, "You can't oh, throw them no. out! They're the only <laughs> they're the only thing that I have that has you know a, like a tangible. This was my geek hobby from the mid nineties. Like mm-hmm. this was my comedy education, really, um, and." He, uh, I now produce, you know, the little job that I've created for myself now is I I write and produce comedy shows, um, co-write a lot of them and uh, just, you know, the the influence of Tony Martin in particular's style of humour has stayed with me that whole time and it's, yeah, it's a massive, massive influence on my life. So The Late Show was more of a value add to what I got out of Martin Malloy but obviously there were certain... um, the the one sketch probably my favorite late show sketch and you've probably done this already is the um warren perso film that tony martin did actually it it, it, hasn't it
4: hasn't come up in the season yet i'm not i'm not sure how far away but uh i think it's soon
2: it's it's my favorite sketch and it's one of those things where if ever i'm feeling a bit down sometimes i'm like you know what i need to watch warren perso and i'll just put it on it's like a little it's like a little 10 minute brain reset and it just always makes me happy the jokes are so quick this he's such a reprehensible character but plays it so well and i love um kind of in my life and in in the kind of comedy that i do what i love more than anything are grifters drifters dodgers con artists scammers people like that are so fascinating to me so like recently we had the tinder swindler and inventing anna you know all the streaming services with these con artists and scammers who are able to get away with millions of dollars and you know and they're reprehensible people but somehow they get away with it so tony martin has a really good knack for you know playing these kind of grifter characters and things like that so that's probably a lot of where it comes from but uh, yeah, so Warren Perso is like a, a champion of that. That's probably my favorite late like, show sketch. <laughs> the weird thing is though, I understand all of the references, but if you show it to someone new and they're like younger, so there's so many references to the top, Like there's a reference to Fairstar Star the Funship. Yeah. Anyone <laughs> under 30 has we no idea what that is of what Fair Star <laughs> the Funship is. Uh, and so you have to kind of explain the references and go, no, 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 this is really funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, yeah, so but. It's to, and the, the type of films that it was satirizing at the time, but I don't know. There's just something about him saying, Oh, yes, my art house film French chicks in the nutty. It's just, <laughs> I don't know, it's just hits my comedy funny bone every time. So I'm rambling already, but yes, basically, uh, Tony Martin's probably my favorite comedian, certainly the one who's had the most influence on my uh, life and career in comedy, I guess.
0: So are you a late show fan?
1: <laughs> absolutely.
0: Excellent. Yeah,
2: absolutely. As I said, I, it's just <laughs> something that I came to after it was sort of all over. Um, so I do regret not um, having been part of the magic when it happened. I assume you guys were then? You watched it live? Yep. Uh, yep. Um, I yeah, was in, I I was it. in
4: a similar boat to you, uh, Natalie, uh, in that, yeah, the, the, the gateway drug was the, the VHS best of tapes. And then, um, yeah, a bit of uh, tape swapping around of uh, of the the full episodes kind of helped me to fill in the gaps. And yeah, sort of like again, like most of most of what what you've said about your your journey into finding all this stuff, it's sounding so familiar because yeah, uh, like I was also a
2: fan of Martin Lloyd. I did a lot of taping as well. As I can't stress how often I listen to these damn things. Like I drove my parents mad. Mm Uh, I think they thought I had a problem because I would just listen to this and soak up everything. And I always joke about how, you know, if I do an accent, it's typically not me doing an accent of the person. It's me doing a, a, a version of Tony Martin doing the person. <laughs> We're
1: all guilty <guessing laughs> <That's>
2: of that. <laughs> I, yeah, learn how to do accents and things like that. So, in fact, Dan, my friend who's staying with me uh, at the moment because sadly his his house got flooded, he yeah. is... He's yelling from the background. Hello, I met Dan after Martin Malloy had finished. So I think in 1999, no, late 1998, yeah. and he had just been on when they were – this. This is a deep cut. This is a nerd nerd alert. So, right, how to tell the story? So they had the last episode of Frontline in 1997, and Rob Sitch went on Frontline to give away the giant poster of Mike Moore, that if you watch the last season of Frontline, there's this massive, massive picture, framed picture of Mike Moore in the foyer. And they decided to give it away on Martin Malloy if you could write in and explain why you wanted this giant billboard. Anyway, I remember listening to the responses and one of the responses was, I plan to make a ramp out of this <laughs> poster or picture so I can jump the Brisbane River like evil Knievel. And the respondent, the respondent was the evil Daniel Beeston. Anyway, I rock up at this night through a mutual acquaintance and meet, like, oh, this is Daniel Beeston. And I went, the evil Daniel Beeston? He <laughs> was having Jones- <laughs> poster across uh, the Brisbane River. And he just looked at me and I've never seen, like, a look of, like, oh, my God, what is this? <laughs> Witchcraft. Uh, So it turns out Dan was also a massive Tony Martin nerd and uh, we bonded over that and that was over 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So tragic Mm -hmm. Tony Martin fans uh, ever since.
0: All right, now this is not directed through The Late Show but it is attached to the D-Gen, which is the panel and that is... Ballet Shane Warne, after that shock passing. Here's a snippet of Warney appearing on the panel in 1998. You mentioned
5: backyard cricket. Now, Shane, was it a disadvantage for you being a leggy? Because when you bowl in the backyard, it's usually on grass. Yep. The ball doesn't, doesn't spin as much. It's, did it. you Did you have one of those little like concrete sort of little driveways to the hills voice <laughs> where you could use as a pitch or something? Too much or... information, say. <laughs> <son>. No, no. <laughs> or, or,
1: or
5: on, at the beach on the sand, the ball doesn't doesn't turn as much. I yeah. mean, as a kid, were, were you, how were you able to practice your, your legs? Yeah.
6: Well, in the backyard, it was just basically I'd always bat second ball because it's six and out in the backyard. Yeah. Oh, okay. It yeah. you for six, and I'd just go and bat, so I didn't oh, really yeah. practice right. my leggings okay. at all. That's <laughs> it? Yeah, over the fence, loose. Wicked. rock and start When, game, you, when you take a wicket,
4: do you decide how you're going to react? Is, do you practice? Uh, there's a move you do, which I love, which is the... Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the yeah. Yeah. Now, which did you awesome. decide, yeah, did that just, just happen on the day? Mm. Or did you think, you know, today I might go, you know, woo
1: Because
4: <laughs> 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 you can use those if you're ugly, oh, great... <laughs>
5: like, you know, you get back in the team and just oh, that shit, though. Turn to the camera and do that <laughs> and we'll know you're doing it for
6: us. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I think it depends on the situation of the game. You never plan what you're going to do, but sometimes it's a really important wicket or it's really a, yeah. an emotional time. So I think that you have a bit of banter between the batter and you really knock him over and hmm. it changes the game. you have got to be excited and sometimes you carry on like a pork chop. Oh, that's great. Sometimes it's just like a wicket and you're you know, right. next to I reckon, game, next, yeah, but yeah, do yeah. that. Yeah. I reckon, imagine that.
4: Yeah,
0: <laughs> the full clip is on YouTube.
4: And uh, yeah, it's it's a, a shock loss to be quite honest. I mean, even for a non-sport person like me, um, fifty-two, 50,
3: yeah, fifty-two. He was. It's amazing, isn't it? O- also, so, if if
4: you're wanting a bit of a tenuous link, uh, perhaps if I mention the movie Crackerjack and the old Flipper oh, that uh, yes. Nick was trying yes. to do, yes. I don't yes. think you could have had the well. I don't think you you could have had a, a better modern proponent of the flipper than Morning.
0: All right, uh, Alison.
3: So um, I recently got hold of a copy of Judith Lucy's latest book. Turns out I'm fine, and awesome. this book is 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 worth a worth a read. Uh, it's it's autobiographical, but she talks about her life um, in the context of her relationships with men over the years, and she talks about obviously romantic partners that she has, but also. Um, men she's met in the workplace which for her of course is stand-up comedy clubs and she I guess overall she's quite negative about some of the men she met in the early 90s on the comedy scene but there was one bright spot which I thought I might read out to you so she says I'll always remember one of the first meetings I had with the D generation when I was asked to join the cast of The Late Show on the ABC I was 24 and had been doing comedy for about three years The only other female in the group, Jane Kennedy, wasn't there for some reason. And at lunchtime, we all walked down the street to pick up sandwiches, me and six men. I remember feeling like I was in a Western. I was young and anxious about my new job, but these guys wanted me there. So for once, I wasn't trying to make myself invisible in their company. I was struck by how intoxicating it was to be surrounded by men who weren't excluding me. I suddenly understood how some ladies are willing to be one of the boys at the expense of their own sex. I'm glad I can remember that day because while there were absolutely other men who supported me when I started, it's not a feeling I've had very often. That feeling of inclusion, not the Western bit. So, yeah, I guess we always knew Knew that the men of the late show were good guys in comedy, but now we know for absolute sure based on that. So I, I just really loved reading that bit.
2: I wonder. Mm. That's so nice, and I must get that book because Judith Lucy, I was also as a teenager like super obsessed with, and I uh, I met her a few years ago when I was doing something in at the ABC Brisbane studios, and she and Denise Scott were there to pimp something, and I had to run up and go, "I'm really oh, sorry, but I disappointments just love you. probably." It was before disappointments. It was the oh, okay. it was the one they did before that. I'm tired, or I'm. It's the oh, one where they did the yeah. show in bed. Half the show was they were just propped up in beds. It was hilarious. Yeah, I, I've seen that one. Yeah, uh, uh, and was cool. she was she was very very sweet. And um, but I think I wonder if it was because those guys weren't strictly stand up comedians. You know, they came from university review, law, medicine. And then Tony Martin had come from radio, probably. Mm -hmm. I think Tony Martin has said that he really only got into stand-up properly once the late show had finished. I think he dabbled, but really then only honed it after the late show finished. So that to me uh, and my experience with stand-up comedians, particularly years ago, but not that I've had a huge amount, but the odd ones that I've met, uh, there tends to be a lot of ego. Mm -hmm. And... There, it was a very kind of hostile to women environment in a lot of cases. And so I wonder if the good guy thing is because they weren't from the stand-up world strictly, that they were from sketch, uh, they'd written TV comedy, they'd done live theatre kind of sketch shows. It wasn't all about – because stand-up is is very – it's one person, so you kind of have to develop a big ego – But the downside of that is it means you often don't work well with others. And particularly if you tend to be, as a lot of male comedians tend to be, um, certainly back in the day, a bit misogynistic and a bit ha, 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 make fat chick jokes or ugly chick jokes or
1: Mm.
2: whatever. Uh, Yeah, it doesn't tend to be the easiest environment for women to kind of go, you know what, I feel really welcome and supported here. (laughs) <laughs>
3: uh, yeah, so that, That's that very be... much as she described in the book, yeah. It's a very much some toxic males in the early 90s stand-up scene.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: I've got the paper! I've got the paper! Daniel Genie's Program Guide.
2: Thanks, Matt.
4: So this is Ross Warnicke's Critical Guide, uh, published in the Melbourne Age uh, on Saturday the 11th of September. Uh, we'll start off with Channel 7. Uh, they're back to showing repeats of Inspector Morse... Uh, so this is Season 2, Episode 1, The Wolvercote Tongue. Uh, Warnie ah. Key describes it thus. Oh, you might know
2: the episode, mate. I know the episode well. I just did a big Inspector Morse rewatch uh, last year.
4: <laughs> <laughs> You've done a lot of stuff in the pandemic,
2: haven't you? <laughs> Nothing productive. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yeah, you might uh, recall uh, in The Wolvercote uh, Tongue, for the for the rest of you who aren't that, that, um, uh, Warner King describes it thus, a visiting American millionaireess who has inherited a priceless jewel is murdered less than an hour after arriving in Oxford, unquote. That's quite
2: efficient, don't you think? Less than an hour? Well, uh, they were very efficient murderers in Inspector Morse. <laughs> and multiple. Like, you wouldn't have thought the sweet little university town of Oxford just had so much murder, but wow.
4: And they had plenty of time to do it in, you know, like a two-hour time cycle for that sort of thing as well. Uh, moving to Channel 9 uh, at 6.30. Hey, hey, it's Saturday. Um, I won't sing any of the selections after the uh, feedback from the last episode. My little um, <laughs> uh, impression of, um, oh, uh, gosh, the, the guitarist. Uh, so we had Lee Kernaghan uh, performing The Outback Club. We had a performance from Manpower Australia featuring a, before he was famous, Jamie Jury. Mm. Yeah. Now better known as a horticulturalist and um, doing pretty well for himself. Um, I've I've seen him on the HGTV channel um, in the US um, in a show called Curve Appeal Extreme. Yeah, he's still uh, out and about and doing stuff, and, yeah, still on TV in the US. Uh, We then had uh, Margaret Ehrlich performing Man Overboard. Uh, The Red Faces judges were Shane Bourne and, from Getaway, Rebecca Harris. Hey, hey, (laughs) (laughs) thrill-seekers. And then uh, Living Colour... finishing up things, performing Nothingness. Um, I'm not sure how that goes. I'm guessing it wasn't um, like a homage to um, John Cage's Four Minutes and 33 Seconds or anything like that. There must have been something to that Nothingness. (laughs) Um, And then at 8.30, uh, we had the film Captive. Um, Ross Warnicki says that it's a 1991 kidnap drama based on a true story about a couple who take over a small-town hotel and discover that their first customers are escaped convicts. They are taken hostage as the crooks try to escape their pursuers, starring Barry Boswick, Joanna Kearns, and John Stamos. Oh, John Stamos. Mm. Yeah, and this, this would have been at the close to the heart of his fame, I would think, too. Full House oh, yeah. probably would have still been going at that time. Uh, over on Channel 10, we've got more mystery. Um, this is Agatha Christie's appointment with death. Ross Warnocki says that it's another of the series with Peter Ustinov as a phantom middling Hercule Poirot. In this one, made in 1988 and co-starring Lauren McCall, he probes the murder of a touring party who was killed during an archaeological dig. For some reason, murder mysteries seem to be popular right now. Like It used to be films and the occasional bit of sport, but it's back to... yeah. If you don't like a laugh, you, you you can solve a mystery. Um, Speaking of breaking away with tradition, SBS usually shows a foreign movie. Tonight, they're showing an Australian movie. Uh, It's called Man of Flowers. Uh, Ross Warnicki says that it's the much acclaimed but rather ponderous 1983 Australian drama directed by Paul Cox about the relationship between a sexually repressed collector of rare flowers, played by Norman Kaye, a young model, played by Alison Best, and her cocaine addicted boyfriend, played by Chris Haywood. Um, Or, as the ad in The Green Guide uh, put it a lot more succinctly, an erotic tale of a man with a bunch of sexual problems. That leaves us uh, with the ABC. A bit earlier in the night, we had the debut of this British comedy classic.
5: I may be over the hill now that I have retired Fading away, but I'm not yet expired Clapped out, run down, too old to save One foot in the grave.
0: No. I, don't I don't believe,
1: believe it!
0: it. <laughs> Eric Idle wants his royalties now.
4: <laughs> uh, well, sure, surely he, he's getting that from the dance remix of this thing that you can find on Spotify, by the way. So uh, Ross Warnicky, um advertises it as a new British comedy about 60-year-old Victor, played by Richard Wilson, forced into early retirement and unable to cope. Um, now, he says that it's a new British comedy... Um, keep in mind that this is premiering, uh, well, as far as I can tell, it's premiering on Australian TV in 1993. There's no R next to the listing. But uh, it's uh, uh, this very first episode is from 1990 in, in, in Britain. So, but that's again, how it was at the time. We had to wait yeah. several years for British sitcoms. I don't know why mm-hmm. that was, but that was yeah. entirely normal. Again, that, I, I, it, it, I, 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 feel, I feel like going on a Tony Martin-style rant about all of the Really good stuff that could have been played, and they wait three years and play one foot in the grave and keeping up appearances. All right, so uh, the lead in uh, to the late show at 9:30 is Birds of a Feather."
1: What'll I do?
4: Season two, episode 12 titled "Old Friends." Uh, while shopping at uh, Tesco's. Tracy meets uh, a supermarket uh, clerk by the name of Trish, her best friend from school and bridesmaid, and invites her to stay as uh, Trish has just left her husband. Shannon feels lonely and uh, also worried uh, that when Daryl gets out of prison that Tracy will be kicked out of the house. And uh, Dorian, uh, she just gives advice, um, which is pretty easy when you're just a dirty cat.
7: <laughs> yeah, for the true experience of watching late show episodes over again, you have to always watch whatever was on.
2: Yeah, yeah.
4: And yeah, it beforehand. just happens to be birds of a feather for the yes. unseen, the week in a row. <laughs> uh, the listing for uh, the late show, again, Warner here is still not changing from his usual satire and sketch comedy from Melbourne's DJ. Then at 11 o'clock, the week in federal politics with order in the house. Uh, At midnight, it's the final of the US chat series with Ruby Wax, the full wax. Then ATVI News at 12:30 and Rage at 1 a.m. with guest programmer Vernon Reed. Okay, third episode in the row. Do any of you know who Vernon Reed is? No. No. Okay, he's from Living Colour. Ah, okay. Uh. Okay. So, again, again, there's this weird sort of... Um, Crossover. Sym- ...symmetry with... Yeah, yeah, crossover's a better word, I think, with uh, with Hey Hey It's Saturday and people um, visiting Australia to play with their
0: latest album.
4: All right, let's get on with um, going over uh, this episode in forensic detail, eh?
0: Fantastic. Yay. That's what we're here for. And here we go with Season 2, Episode 13 of The Late Show broadcast Saturday, September 11, 1993. And what a... Really cheesy opening. I guess you really need to know what was going on at the time in regards to the Navy recruitment commercial.
2: Well, it's, I mean, it's I, just it's, wrong. It's satire.
0: Satire, but the whole scandal behind it all. Basically, the Navy were in a big scandal.
4: I must. Oh, admit, yes. I, I don't. I First don't know admitted. the specifics about this, um, but um, it's pretty obvious, especially looking at the rest of this episode, that there was an allegation of sexual harassment. Yeah. With uh, it might have been a senior, senior figure, but a, a senior figure. Um, but it was certainly
0: in the Australian Navy. The whole—they played the commercial. It looks legit until you see the subtitles across the bottom saying "chicks welcome." Yeah, and then you. Mm. go, Yeah, yeah
3: that, that was the real commercial until that final shot at the mm. end
0: with yeah. with
2: Mick with the ass of, grabbing.
0: Yeah,
3: grabbing grabbing Jane's
2: ass there. Yeah, you know the thing is though, I suspect many women got that in the Navy <laughs> back yep. in the day. Yep. Rather like the
3: Melbourne stand-up scene of the early nineties, it would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quite right. Yeah.
0: After the opening titles, we have the opening remarks, and Mick does explain the opening of the Navy ad, uh, where the woman claims to be sexually harassed by on the uh, HMAS Melbourne, not realizing that she actually popped on the wrong boat. It was first of the fun ship. Oh boy! And also the tragic <laughs> passing of Hervé Villachez.
4: Yeah.
1: Resulting
0: in Daryl Summers' impressions dropping even lower.
4: Yeah, it's sort of it's this very weird tangent they go on uh, talking about Daryl Summers and the priest teeth, isn't
7: yeah. it? Oh, Reverend Daryl. He was that kind of vicar who was a bit of a perv or kind of oh. kind of like a Les Patterson type character, wasn't he? Something like that.
0: Basically, yeah,
7: yeah. yeah.
2: I have to confess, I never watched Hey Hey Saturday. It was just the one show I never like. It was never on in our house. Again, I think my parents never liked it, so we never watched it. So You
0: missed all the, the appearances of the Gen popping up, including Mike yeah. Molloy.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, I missed all... The only thing that I know is that there was a guy who did cartoons and funny voices, and there was Dickie Knee, and there was Red Faces, because people at school would talk about Red Faces, or... But, yeah, I've never watched it. I might have seen bits and pieces switching cat- channels, but I n- never watched a whole episode of Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. Sure, Rarity. I know. Was, it was a big with thing. With five channels, that was pretty much, if you wanted to know
7: what, who was in town, what was going on, that was mm. that was what you watched. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we all watched oh, I it.
0: I know. <laughs> yeah. I'm just a freak. <laughs> well, someone who wasn't going to be in town uh, was the comeback tour for Duran Duran. It had been postponed. <laughs>
7: I don't know what is what has he got against Simon LeBon. Why is he so bad? Was he that daggy back then? I know it, it's really
3: ask. interesting, isn't it? That that generation in the audience obviously really thought Duran Duran was really a daggy bat, and right. you know, yeah. whereas the well, the, these days, I you know clearly. Duran Duran have had various comebacks and and done touring around and and there's a real big nostalgia factor but obviously at that exact point in the 90s they were just hated and loathed and people thought they were
7: unfashionable and it was weird because it was only like five or six years ago at the time and you think if you think of something that was in 2016 you know that's not that long ago how can they be that unfashionable? Yeah, what right? was
3: the deal with Donald Trump and him getting elected? Yeah. What, what was the deal with the Brexit referendum? Those people in 2016 were crazy.
4: <laughs> but, yeah, you're, you're right. It, it was uh, before that sort of mid-'90s renaissance, for one, for lack of a better term, that, that Duran Duran had where they had a couple of extra hits around that time. Yeah, but I, 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 do, I do like the sort of uh, ad-libbing where... Um, Tony uh, says, Simon Le Bon's doctor says that he can't sing, and then sort of pauses and goes, no, no, there's more to it than just that. <laughs> uh,
2: or maybe he could sing, and the doctor just did everyone a favour.
0: Yes. yes. Yeah. Mick talks about the controversial watch ad uh, with the hand on the boobs.
5: A friend of mine has actually got one of those watches, and um, I went out during the week and had dinner with him and, and his girlfriend. And I was a bit naughty, but I, I took a bit of a sneaky peek at her buzzies. Right. and I had a look and I just went, "Caw, is that the time?") <laughs> I'd say-
2: It's it's such a clever mechanism and it's something that uh, in humour and writing comedy and things like that, it's how do, you, how do you have your cake and eat it too with a joke? So how do you kind of go, let's do the sexist joke, but how do we make sure that people understand that we're not being sexist, we're just telling an, an obvious joke? And so the way they do it there is to be like, yep, that's what we do here at the ABC. They kind of lean into the, yes, mm-hmm. we're sophomoric and we're you know, irreverent and we're being cheeky and they just lean into that to take the edge off it. Nobody would actually assume that any of the... Well, I don't know, maybe you would assume that Mick Malloy might do that. He kind of built a lot of his character on, on he's, being... He's a the slightly only guy appears. that could
4: get away with it, really.
2: Well, um, yeah, it's he, he was the larrikin of the group. If you want to reference Shane Warne again, um, he had the same kind of energy, that bantery, sink some beers, crack some jokes, so... But and lovable he the term- at the same time. Exactly, he's like, and
3: he, he's like a he's sort of lovable sexist, and it, it's it's a really fine line, and, and he he makes it
2: work, Mick Malone.
3: Yeah, he's so he charming. does.
2: He's so charming. Well, also, because he was so baby faced as well, because he was only what yeah. twenty five or so when when they did this, and so he kind of gets away with being like, oh, I'm cheeky, I'm, um, and he was I'm the hot cheeky boy. one as well, Mick. A
3: lot of people thought Mick was the heartthrob of the group. You know, and
7: yeah, I wasn't yeah. one of them, but
2: a lot of my friends definitely. <laughs> no, a lot of people were in, in the mid camp. in that way. Yeah. Yes, I would have thought Jason Stevens because he has like the square mm. jaw and the hair, and yeah, none of my
7: friends uh, were into Jason. We were into Santo <laughs> ourselves. Oh, uh, well, Santo's charming. Adorable.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's super charming.
4: And it's it's also interesting. I mean, this is the first take we've got on the controversial watch ad because we're going to see. Uh, a lot of takes on it coming from different angles uh, as we progress th- through
0: the episode as well. And also with Tony and Mick talk about uh, Bruce Samazan's hairdresser because of what the of his push-down hair style. Here I am doing that and I'm bloody bald.
2: It's interesting <laughs> that they're taking the piss
3: out of that, that hairstyle. Right? Yeah, cause because he had
7: a hairstyle before well, Mick... then that was a little bit kind of Bart simpson in, wasn't it? Yeah.
3: yeah Mick, do you remember Mick had that really short haircut and it was exactly the same because that was a really big look in the early days, wasn't it? Sort of oh, yeah, pushing yeah, pushing yeah. down your hair like that.
7: Yes. Well, who do they describe Bruce's hair as? Oh, it was like Jerry Lewis. Jerry, Jerry Lewis. Oh,
0: Mo yeah. from the Three Stooges. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, Tony puts Mick on the spot after he claims that he saw the piano. So ne- yeah. never, <laughs> never bullshit a movie aficionado. Yeah. <laughs> Mick also points out that uh, while they got, well, he did get to do his 100th joke the episode before, Santo is on his 99th, so it's just another excuse to drag out this. Big punchline, really. So they give him the opportunity to get his 100th done. The
5: Diego Maradona joke. Well, he's been out of the game for over two years. But now Diego Maradona, who says he's fully recovered from his cocaine addiction, is almost certain to make a comeback to international soccer and play against Australia in six weeks' time. He claims he's already lost over 10 kilos. Argentinian police are confident they'll find them with the help of sniffer dogs.
3: I love that what joke. A, what a dumb
1: joke.
3: <laughs> My
0: favorite of Santos' Diego Maradona joke was one that he did on uh, Santos Sam and Ed. And that yeah. was the Diego Maradonuts. Oh.
1: Mm. <laughs> Much more
4: succinct. Yeah, and and Santo so told that his hundredth joke beautifully, and in such a natty vest as well. That it was almost—it like was, it was, his... almost, it was yeah. almost like he walked up the set of Snowy.
3: Well, I was—I was just thinking he—he he, he just walked out of his job in a bank to uh, to <laughs> read out
0: that joke. But he was a bit fired up because when he was heading over to the next sketch,
3: and now it's over to the news desk with Tommy G. <laughs>
0: Santa does hark up in the background about how Mick got a horse. And, yeah, so it was a nice roll-on. It <laughs> was cute. And with the news desk, we're going to skip majority of it because a lot of it's visual. Oh,
3: and... oh! can I just say how much all I right. enjoyed the Yitzhak Rabin joke? Because, you know, we've been watching all these episodes and there's been all this stuff about Optus and Telecom and you think, oh, right, so, you know, Yitzhak Rabin, that we could sign this big peace deal with Yasser Arafat and the Palestinians and everything. And, oh, no, it's an Optus and Telecom you know, contract. I just thought, yeah, okay, that's funny.
0: Well, actually, I will have to point out because it doubles up down the track, uh, and that's the relations breakthrough between Israel and PLO, because it was that Israel recognises the PLO. Angry Anderson reserves his comments for the Ray Martin show, and Andrew <laughs> Eddinghausen has nothing to say because it doesn't have anything to do with his penis. So. <laughs>
2: Gosh, that was a massive joke at the time. Andrew Eddinghausen's mm-hmm. nude spread, where you could see his like every punchline uh, was. Te- technically, I don't think Andrew it was a, a
4: nude spread. It was just like, if I recall, it was like a, oh, a, a locker room a, photo. Yeah, yeah, it was. Like, it was like a candid photo that That's just right. uh, probably wasn't uh, very well um, he, edited airbrushed. He, say, but he did sue for it.
2: I think he did. I think he ended up doing a nude spread or something like he did a, a, a modesty kind of artistic um, nude spread or with a piece nude. of gauze strategically. Yeah, placed that kind of thing. I feel like he milked yeah. it. Um, oh, wait, that's probably a wrong choice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was like that dominated the news. Like as a kid, I just remember this oh my God, footballer Andrew Eddinghausen's candidate penis shot it, like how bizarre that that's
3: what we fixated on it was it was crazy times it was a big story in that time
2: though mm. well I mean it, I guess it depends on how big you thought the story was no, yeah no, no. it
4: was uh, it was published in HQ magazine uh, which was owned by Kerry Packer at the time so you know if there's a person to sue Kerry Packer's a good candidate and yeah and, and yeah it was, it was because the, the publication picked, uh, published the picture of him naked in a shower with two teammates. The photo was from 1990 and, um, yeah, it was published under the headline Hunks. Yeah, pu- published without his knowledge.
3: Well, so there were actually three nude rugby players as opposed to just one.
4: Uh, again, I'm, I'm I'm doing a very quick Google look through uh, an article here talking about it. I don't know if he won or not. I think he won.
2: It turns I, out I... there's a lot of various football players who've been nude in pictures over the years, and it turns out they're all on a non-work-safe Google search. So oh, enjoy yourself. Uh, <laughs> treat yourselves. <There> you <laughs> just don't do it at work. As soon as this ends, <laughs> that's that's my first Google search. <laughs>
0: Another reference to the boob watch ad, uh, the company that com- uh, has received all the complaints uh, saying that it was unfairly cropped and they do re- uh, reveal the full ad which shows a naval officer. Yep, Played uh, by
3: Rob with a beard. Yeah. He's got a very nice naval beard on. He, he
2: looks like Captain Haddock from Tindy. He does. It looks like he should be smoking a pipe and drinking whiskey. Oh, blistering
0: <laughs> boobicles. Yeah. so.
2: Yeah, it's it's sort of it's a very uh,
4: weird looking photo that that ad represents. Like it's a a woman in a white dress reading a book with like a man standing behind her, but sort of cropped from the like you you only see from the shoulders down, with his left hand on her left shoulder and his right hand with the watch on it, sort of groping down the top. It's just it's so weird, Mm. I think. Mm.
7: I do I remember, mean, I, I remember this. Do you remember this controversy when it was out? I, I remember, well, largely because of the late show, but I do remember seeing it in the fashion magazines, you know, cosmopolitan type magazines, uh, Vogue, that sort of thing, masquerading as this kind of, uh, oh, yes, this is high-end fashion accessory. I think Judith later on when she talks more about it really hits the spot when she talks about, about the uh, the approach of this ad. Um but that's for further on.
3: But it was very common. There was a lot of these sort of weird slightly over-the-top nudity ads, you know, where, mm. where they would really exploit particularly naked women's bodies to try and sell some product. Very common
4: in this era. And and also the the photo being in black and
0: white, sort of being a shorthand for yeah. party.
5: Mm.
4: Mm.
0: Now Michael Jackson continues his Philippines concert, and fans are in hysterics. But as
5: usual, hysterical fans gathered beneath his hotel room window, screaming for a glimpse of their hero. Oh my
1: gosh, show a smile, please!
5: And it
0: reveals to be actually Mick Moy on the. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, there's
7: just awesome. all
3: these Michael Jackson jokes where there's sort of casual references to you know Michael dragging people back to his hotel room, and he just think you know.
1: You would, not then, do, yeah. you
3: would not do that joke these days but back then it was obviously oh yeah he's he's like date raping people or whatever whatever the allegation is you know it, it's just sort of they were very casual about it weren't
2: they too casual yeah
0: it, it, you, yeah
2: yeah you, Michael Jackson in particular is the one who kind of swirls around because that document uh document documentary finding neverland came out a few years ago and it was like I mean, we all thought he was doing suspicious stuff, but then the guys who were involved, who were kids at the time, sort of laid out their experiences, and you're like, oh, my God. We were all just kind of joking that he was a bit of an oddity Mm. and a bit freaky and a bit of a weirdo and strange times.
4: I think think what's funnier in seeing all of this is the footage of the fanatical fans, especially the one with the sign that says, I love you, Michael. We love you, Michael. We want to see you, Michael. It's just uh, with the, the picture of Diana Ross on the other side yeah. as My- as Tommy G jokes.
2: Michael Jackson's fans were a weird breed. They were obsessed to a strange yeah. extent. I, I often felt like it's almost like he paid people to follow him around and stand outside his hotel rooms and just cry and faint. Just people he still to- has
3: obsessional fans, though, because, like, if you say yeah. anything negative, I, I have friends who said negative things about Michael Jackson on Twitter, and, and they've been attacked by, like, you know, groups of, yeah. of Michael Jackson fans on, on Twitter. And you think, why does he attract so much fanaticism? I mean, I'm not saying he's not a
2: good musician, but, like, why? why, why yeah, think exactly. Something about him just connect to, connects with a certain kind of person and then they're, like, ride or die.
0: Yeah. Up after the news desk is a sketch, and that is shot laundry detergent, pointing out that all the cliches in laundry commercials. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> who, who, uh, that, that wasn't any of the regular cast,
2: that was obviously an actor they brought in to do that. So,
4: yeah, yeah wearing, a white, coat I, wearing and a white coat, wearing a white folder.
2: Mm. Yeah, I know from my
7: work, if, if you want to look professional for some TV crews, you always just put on the old lab coat and look like you're scientific. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting, is that if you, I have. Some old tapes, and when you look at the old ads, there's just so many laundry detergent commercials and over and over and and a lot of them targeting moms at home and the kids and the stains and all this sort of thing um, mm-hmm. but I was looking up this um just laundry detergents back in the nineties and apparently um it was a market that was a r- really competitive back then, and in a nineteen ninety three article from the Financial Review, it basically says that um sales were falling of laundry. Detergents because of the concentrate, concentrated detergents that were coming in from the British brands and from Customs in particular. So I guess it was at that time where everyone just had to, they were giving away samples, they were doing a lot of marketing. So that's probably why people were just over all of this
2: laundry ad stuff. And mm. these, we've got these chemicals yeah. that make it yeah. better. We make your whites whiter and yeah, better does, colors. Does, and-
4: does, does anybody want to try pronouncing all of the uh, unpronounceable? Uh, chemical names <laughs> that were spouted. I'll go on. Well, how about I tell you that shite contains sodium polyphosphate
3: and anionic surfactant, and over-enunciate the words titanium dioxide complex, butyl methoxy benzoyl methane, and tocopherol
7: acetate. They're not in the detergent, but I thought I'd say them just to shit you. <laughs> <laughs>
4: because <laughs> all all that all that reminds me of and I've, i well i don't know whether those made up chemical names were uh, written by tony uh, but it just it reminds me of the new breakthrough from mark Malloy pharmaceuticals new panametha busitalafine supercedin metarabusyl oh you
7: should
2: have done a fine yeah
7: i, I Yeah, I don't, I don't think we can do it <laughs>
2: Give it away, yeah, give it away, right. now five was the end of it. So yeah.
4: <laughs> I must admit, I am cheating a bit here because I am reading it out here, but yeah. Pandemic with a new anti-quapting sifter-fed
2: formula. <laughs> uh,
4: yeah. Uh, with hyposidine, caramucerbol and, and oh, ribonasal backy crystal, maybe hybo, give it away, give Good it away, away, give now, away five. now five. Yeah. <laughs> Ask for it by name.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by the time you've asked for it, your headache is buggered off down the pub. <laughs> I told you, I listened to this soft-taped a lot. Uh, I used to know I used to know that whole thing off by heart because uh, of the wordplay of it. But, yeah, when I saw that sketch in this episode, I went, that's got to be a Tony sketch. <laughs> it, just, uh, it, yeah. it just
0: reeks of it, yeah.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: Now we're on stage and Jane sets up the highly produced and budget-blowing uh, Snowy, which, mm. not to be confused with the Man from Snowy River TV mm. series, this was Snowy, which was just a short mini-series on Channel 9, because I, when I went to try and find some grabs for the original show, that's all that came up, the man from Snowy River, not the snowy one, so. Mm.
4: Mm -hmm. Not a single thing about hydroelectricity in sight. It
3: is something to me in Italian. I don't know, blokes around here are all the same. It's hydroelectricity, this, hydroelectricity, that. You're different. Say something to me in Italian.
2: Hydroelectricità. <laughs> That's my favorite line. I love that. It is. Uh, I, I do love the the that the sketch shows, and it's not just the Late Show, but lots of sketch shows. The sketches themselves, because fans, you know, cling onto them. the 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 parodies last longer than the original that is being parodied. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't tell you anything about Snowy, but I could tell you everything about the kind of show it would have been based on that parody. Just the also, earnest, yeah. you know.
4: The thing the thing is that I haven't seen the original Snowy that they're parroting this on either, but um didn't they essentially do this sketch without having actually seen any of the actual show? Like it might have just been the the, the the promos that had that had gone out and that's it. So that like would it's surprising. So me. it's just packed with cliches, you know. Mm. Damn it Mac.
7: Yeah, I love damn it Mac. <laughs> Isn't Tom just a great kind of old curmudgeon old man <laughs> with his walking yeah. stick and he's just...
0: So yeah. Unintentional racial slurs. Yeah,
2: all these people we haven't made up, made up
0: racial slurs for Yes,
2: yeah. <laughs> And soon they'll have their own
4: television station. Ooh, what's <laughs> that? <laughs> uh, I was just going to mention we also got a little cameo by Aaron Bocair uh, mm. standing up the back uh, trying not In to be York seen. In the your Shit scene. Yeah. yeah,
0: that's six things you can't, no, uh, you can't tame. That, yeah. There's also this other cameo.
5: Listen to me, mate. We're not just turning water into electricity. It's much harder than that. We're attempting an entire drama series without a single dado in it.
0: Wrong, my
4: friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there we go. That's the second dado That's been on the show as well. Yeah. We had, we had, uh, we had Cameron with his. Uh, Four and a half minutes
2: of um... oh god! Four and a half minutes of shit. That's probably yeah. that's probably my <laughs> second favorite late show sketch after Warren Perso.
4: With and that, now, Warren. and now Andrew. Now I I know that Matt didn't have any uh, success getting in contact with Cameron. Were you any luckier trying to get any contact with Andrew? I gave up. <laughs> Fair
3: enough. At, right at the end of Snowy, um, in the episode, they they show you them actually making that sort of the the sort of brass. Plaque of snowy with the rain coming down on it, and this because yeah. someone fixed this bloody leak, and that's not on the best of, you know, because the the sketch because is on it best absolutely of.
4: died in the ass on the night.
3: Yeah, I know, but it is, it's is interesting. It's like a little bonus feature. I mean, I'm not saying it's a great joke, but but it's interesting that it's there.
0: Now it's a live sketch with Jeff Daly, aka Tony, uh, of Frigid Air promoting the Manila. Oh no, come on,
4: say it like uh, Rob Sitch says it. All right, huh?
0: Oh. <laughs> Sorry.
4: Managing director of
5: Frigidaire. <laughs> Promoting the new Manila
0: Chilladilla. So uh, that was to help with the transport of uh, Ferdinand Marcos.
2: Can I give you a fun fact? I always like to tell people, so my mother's name is Imelda and my dad's name is Marcus. Oh, no. <laughs> no way. <laughs>
7: Did your mum have a lot of shoes?
2: Yeah, but they share the shoes.
7: Not even remotely.
2: But it like was always. Yeah, like,
4: like, it was... like you've never heard that question at all throughout your childhood. As
2: well. <laughs> it was always a very fun, um, uh, fun thing when people would recognise and go, Imelda or Marcus." So yeah, mm-hmm. that's my little. Uh, I, well, I've got a, a bunch of friends uh, in the Philippines through the Impro community. So I do a lot of improv and went to a festival there and uh, loved telling people that. Oh, fun fact. my parents are named Elder and Marcus and they'll all go oh my god and I was like yes this is the reaction I've been waiting for (laughs) just to go back
3: to the sketch did you notice that Tony when he's playing Jeff Daly from Frigidaire um, he's (laughs) he's wearing a wig which I, I think is either Jeff or Terry Bailey's hair
4: it
1: could very
3: well be
4: it looks really weird on him
3: he does look a what bit different eye. Terry Daily doesn't yeah. he? He's just he's just got this kind of dodgy looking suit and this crappy wig and It's the suit more than anything. It's mm. the vibe. There's so, a, there's <laughs> definitely a vibe about So him. angular.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now it's time for a produced sketch which is where the teaser comes in. <laughs> So fun. there's a whole bunch and of that uh...
4: was all that was all from Matt's personal cassette
1: collection. Oh.
2: <laughs> I do love in hindsight looking back at the logic of calling a girl group the teen queens, which mm. maybe gave you one or two years out of them before they all turned 20 and they were no longer teen yeah. queens. Or as
7: we can see from this sketch, Gwen is mm. <laughs> a little yeah, bit, yeah, uh, yeah, a little bit off that. But yeah, the teen the teen queens are I've got on my uh my smash hits um a to z encyclopedia which which basically <gasps> oh, every time oh. i bought smash hits you could um compile your own encyclopedia by cutting out the page and sticking oh it out week by week it oh grows. God. yes, yeah. fortnight by fortnight so teen queens there's an entry for them here the teen queens are roxanne clark lisa, lisa witt and kelly hoggart three young sydney lasses who had a rather major hit with be my baby and then uh went a bit squiffy with their second release i can't help myself They all have spooky character names on account of the fact that they are actually characters on their own TV show. Wendy, Tammy and Kathy. Their third single, I Love How You Love Me, was featured countless times on E Street, was also at the song chosen to be sung at TV's wedding of the year between CJ and Tony on, guess where, E Street. The girls even appeared at the wedding reception to warble the tune for the happy couple. The girls have also filmed the pilot for their very own TV show, which should hopefully find its way onto our TV screens, sometime early next year, which would have been in 93. Oh, I where, wish it found
4: yeah. <laughs> its way onto YouTube instead.
7: And I don't think it found its way.
0: <laughs> Somebody must have a dodgy bootleg VHS somewhere. But I was going to say, if you really want to see Teen Queens on East Street, that is on YouTube. And there okay. is a whole episode where, uh, what's his name? Patchett.
7: Yeah. Were they in the Coke ad as well or No. <laughs>
0: I don't know oh, I don't, The E
7: Street where the yeah. house blows up at the end
0: <laughs> Ernie Patchett admits that he's a big fan of the Teen Queens And they all come into Patchett's pub For a meet and greet type thing Everything happens at Patchett's <laughs> Pacific pub You can see it, it all came from the same company The same production company mm-hmm. that also did that show I was going to grab my E Street box set, but it's not worth it. Just to keep, yeah. keep
4: that in cold storage, Matt.
0: Yes. Um, but this whole sketch is basically. Oh, and also Kelly Hoggart, who was in the Ten Queens, is also known as the Pizza Hut, uh, the works girl from back in the 90s.
2: Ah. Yeah.
0: And, I know uh, her more for high five. And high, high five, five, yeah. Yeah,
2: high I five, thought yeah. so. Oh, high five. That's yeah. what she went on to do.
0: Yeah, it was Charlie. Uh, Kelly and what's her name? Nathan. Yes. Uh, um, Catherine. There was. Leon. Yeah.
2: Yes, there was a Nathan and another bloke as well. Yeah. The original High Five. I don't it's think much... High Five ex- exists anymore, do they? No.
4: No. But they were, they were much more lucrative than the Teen
2: Queens. Yeah. Well, like the Wiggles, the cockroaches and the Wiggles. Mm. Same <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah.
0: yeah. This whole sketch is basically all about the girls next door, which is development of the mashup of. Girl groups really in their teens, so like Girlfriend mm. and Teen Queens, and they're,
3: they're very much channeling Banana Rama as well. And the sort of Stock Aiken and Waterman sort of mm. musical yeah. style, mm-hmm. so it's, yeah, we, that, that, I mean, they that,
0: singing it's,
4: in unison,
3: yeah. It's mainly the Teen Queens, but you, you get vibes of Kylie and Jason and all their sort of early 90s music and all that mm. stuff. Baby,
1: come and make it
5: girls first started out they copied a lot of criticism people said they couldn't sing they couldn't dance but with love connection they finally proved you don't need those things
4: <laughs> <laughs> good, <laughs> way. Yeah, good, good good little cameo from him
2: yeah. lost lost him this year didn't we just a few weeks ago yeah, yeah recently yeah. Yeah. yeah but this
7: is really catchy this uh Love Direction song. <laughs> I, I found myself singing mm. it when I was watching it back in the day and, and today just hearing it again for the first time in so long. It's
0: it really does earworms. sound like it was written
3: by Silk <laughs> okay, in a Waterman yeah. or something. It, mm. It's, you know, it's that sort of song.
0: Well, did you notice um, when they're doing the whole the sexual up image type thing and you had uh, Melanie and Tamara dressed in their 90s and you had Gwen in a full 1950s full body gown. <laughs> um, <laughs> but their record label was uh, a play on... Molly Meldrum's album, uh yeah. company, uh, Meladian, as they called it, and Molly Meldrum's one was Melodian. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Uh, Melodian Records was co-founded by um, Ian Molly Meldrum and uh, Michael Gudinski, mm. and uh, their first uh, couple of signings to the, uh, to the label were Indecent uh, Obsession. Indecent yeah. Obsession, yeah. And Roxas. Yes, <laughs> right. Right. But I would, say, I would say, yeah, I would say that they're, they're probably well known for uh, another um, uh, Washboard
0: Abged guy, Peter Andre.
2: Peter Andre, yeah. I thought you were going to say that.
0: Mister Repetitious Song Girl. I saw. So,
2: 1993 was the year that I saw at the end of the year Madonna in concert, her first ever concert in Australia, the girly Show. Uh, yeah, she's Vogan. She was doing Lovely the there was a simulated orgy live on stage. I was 13, had no idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just like, oh, they they'll have a lot of hugging. Oh, okay. Uh Peter Andre opened for Madonna. He was the wow. opener. Next. And I remember, him was, I, remember I remember. That, that was 94, yeah. wasn't it? That, that uh, 93. 93. Yeah, yeah I, I remember 93 because I was on my
7: year 11 cruise in Sydney Harbour and I I wasn't at the Madonna concert, but people were like, "I'm not going who, who were going to the Madonna concert." weren't going on the cruise. So it was either or you could either be going to the Madonna concert or going on the Year 11 cruise and then we could see the lights in the distance thinking, oh, wish we were somewhere more interesting in mm. Sydney. <laughs> Do you know
3: what? I, I remember wanting to go to the Madonna concert, but the ticket price was forty dollars. <laughs> and you know, you think, well forty bucks, that that's nothing these days. when you're when you're like sort of fifteen, you know, in the mid ninety in nineteen ninety three it was, you Back haven't got have forty time. bucks. Didn't have forty bucks. So I didn't
4: go. A... Also, um, the only joke from this sketch that makes it to the best of compilation is uh, Jane Kennedy uh, rolling her knuckles over the black keys on a keyboard mm. and it turning into a song titled Da 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 Da. Yeah, I was just wondering, what is the actual name of that I don't know if you want to call it a tune or not, but... Isn't that one of those piano
3: exercises that kids learning... It sounds like one of those things that you learn... It's something all kids
4: did when when they happen to be in front of a a piano with no supervision. Is that all
0: chopsticks?
2: Yeah, I feel like it was a play on... It's not chopsticks, but I feel like it was a play on something. Like it was a minor version...
0: it's like that one where you go do 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 do
2: heart and soul. No, no, no.
4: So, so this popcorn, this popcorn.
3: thats popcorn. It was on the black
0: keys. It was. See, all of this stuff gets passed on from
2: generation to generation
4: by osmosis. I
0: think.
2: Yeah, yeah. There are certain there were certain things that you would know how to play. One was chopsticks. One was heart and soul. And one was that black key thing. (laughs) So Which which from from now on will officially be titled Da 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 da. Yeah. (laughs) I'm surprised the whole sketch didn't make it to the
0: video. Only snippets of it, yeah.
2: Mm. Mm. It's sort of it's a fairly
4: lightweight concept, although it's a pretty lightweight subject considering it's talking about, you know, girl groups.
2: Yeah, and I maybe that just wasn't when they went back to do the the videos that wasn't sort of in vogue anymore and people they might think oh people won't know who girlfriend and stuff is but yeah. You know yeah good point <laughs> 20 <laughs> years later like they, they vanish into obscurity that quickly but then they came back you know with the spice girls and yeah yeah, yeah. they're always they're always around they always yeah. come back
4: so yeah like like uh, like most of these documentaries it all uh finishes up with blocks of text on screen
0: yeah because they break up uh, eventually tomorrow moved to sydney to marry a lesser-known daddo More Dado jokes. (laughs) Melanie moved to Adelaide. I'm sorry to hear that, Daniel. Uh, And and married an even lesser known Dado. So, and then Gwen went and joined the Tin Lids.
2: And now, do people know that joke? Do people? Would people now get that joke? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah.
4: The the Tin Lids was um, uh,
0: Jimmy Barnes' kids. Jimmy Barnes, essentially. Yeah. All the Tin Lids play with Barnesy now. So. Oh, do they? Yeah. Yeah. All grown up. Yeah. Jackie Barnes is the official drummer and stuff.
2: Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. How lovely. is like
0: the official backup singer and all that, yeah.
2: And do they still sort of, you know, do they bring on Jimmy Barnes with a rousing rendition of Walk the Dinosaur? Or do they still? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I want to see that live, Walk the Dinosaur. I want Tim yeah. Lee to do Walk the Dinosaur.
2: I know. Yeah,
0: opened by Just... Peter Andre.
2: Yeah, exactly. Everyone under 40 will be like, what the hell is going on? Exactly. Be careful what you wish
0: for. Yeah. <laughs> We're back on stage and Judith does a bit of a stand-up routine. Really. Hang on. You don't Hang you don't on. want to go through
4: the freeze frame gallery?
0: Oh, that well, that's been yeah. done in the past before.
4: Not that specifically. There was like a very fast changing montage of what seemed to be like off-cuts from the graphics department, but this was something specifically made for those people that were t- that were taping the show. And you can tell like you can really tell from what Tony Martin has said in the years since about some of the stuff that appears in the freeze frame gallery, that this was all organised by Tony. There's things like uh, a page from a bar jar s- uh, script and uh, a clipping from the Melbourne Truth uh, talking about um, a horse being uh, interfered with. Uh, with uh, that a rape? Right? Yeah, a picture of the horse <laughs> with the caption underneath: "The rape victim." <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I was going to say tells that was Tony a
2: lot. He he he's told that story a lot about the uh the horse molester um <laughs> who's now in a psychiatric facility with a picturesque view of Warrnambool race course <laughs> that's right <laughs> it was like his favorite story that the truth ever did and he refers to it often but yeah it's very charming and I think there weird. might
4: have there might have also been like a photocopy of uh, some of the um, complaints from the, the the ABC switchboard log was another thing. This is all just from memory, by the way. I didn't. Yeah, I I did not have the VCR to go through and go. Yep. Like it was just random pausing for me.
3: I, I went through it, and, and there's a complaints log from the first episode of The Late Show, so there's complaints about the Diana sketch, oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and a few more others, and people just basically ringing up to saying these people are not funny, right, and the, and the Diana sketch was tasteless. There's a, there's were, a the, photo. Were, were the names Warnicky
4: or the Finchern, Well,
3: so, like... it, it, just, it just says man or woman as, as the complainer. They don't take their actual given names. But anyway, apart from that, you get to see um, there's a publicity photo for the 1987 Melbourne University Comedy Review, which has got Jason and Mick in it. Um, There's – what else is there? Oh, yeah, there's an obituary for Charlie the Wonder Dog as well. And and you get to see the Get Flared record, which is from Dag Quiz from the Degeneration radio program. So there's quite a lot of fun – to be had by free So, Oh, and the Triple M 1990 Christmas card where they're all dressed up as kind of 70s dags as well. So so lots of kind of nerdy DGEN stuff to enjoy. Just keep clicking along and you'll get all this stuff.
0: We've got Judith on stage doing a stand-up routine as well as answering back to a backchat comment which is this
3: since you know I'm, I'm on the telly is it cause feedback which is why I never like to miss an episode of Backchat and I was particularly thrilled with this episode what
6: seems to have set it's in with chit- the <laughs> hiring of that repellent like feminist an
3: and you know the funny thing is it's hard to know these days whether you should be more offended by repellent or feminist really isn't it because I looked feminist up in the dictionary the other day and it said you know advocate of women's rights on the grounds of equality for the sexes comma
2: killer of small children.
4: Yeah. <laughs> the rot seems to have set in.
2: Yeah, a oh my gosh gosh. You know, it really does astound me that you know she was twenty-four, yeah. so young, so young. And I know that people like when I was twenty-four, I did not feel young. But now that I am old, <laughs> I just look back and go, "How could you have achieved?" Like it's phenomenal. I mean, they were all in their what late twenties. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Looking yeah. back now, you think how I didn't do all of that when I was that age, you know? Yeah, and they'd already done, amazing. you know, radio for yeah. five years, and they'd already. Done, I was like, what on? How did they get into? That? I worked in radio for ten years, uh, mostly in news, radio news, radio journalism, things like that. But I tried occasionally to kind of go, oh, I'd like to do a show. Could I try something? And just nothing.
3: They, You know what? It was good timing and they were really talented. And, and the problem is now that, that there are lots of really talented people who could probably do equally as well. It's just there aren't the opportunities for them. You know, it's just no, and it's not a
2: thing anymore. Yeah, because there was a local uh, radio stations. Now what you get in radio is you get, you know, Husey and Kate broadcast nationally or whoever it is now. Yeah. Or, you know, Kyle and Jackie and it's broadcast Nationally, or I mean, I guess that's what Martin Malloy was. But I suppose you still had your local breakfasts, and
4: yeah, like every, everything else apart from you know the, the, those two hours and a few hours you know, at night with the countdown, everything else would have been local on on each mm-hmm. station. I mean, the, the the sort of saving grace, I suppose, these days is that anyone can put out a podcast. Anybody can you know be their own media outlet and serve you know find whatever audience they they want to it's hard to get an audience though you know
3: publishing a podcast you don't you don't suddenly find you've got millions of people listening to it it's
4: It's probably yeah yeah, you're you're probably doing it more for the love of it kind of like we are with this podcast um Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's not as lucrative as today fm breakfast is and thank you very much to our
0: listener
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah
4: Going, going back to, uh, to stand-up, we get to see her commenting on the watch ad as well. Yeah, including taking the, the piss out of the assertion that the the lady depicted in the watch ad is somehow in control because of the way that she has her arms placed.
2: Oh yeah, this hand. Well, I think light. you'll well. find I'm in control right now. This is a visual. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is a visual joke that will not work for you at home, Listen, <laughs> But if you can imagine, I'm holding my hand in the same sort of awkward, handshaky position. Uh, the great she, thing about she, jokes yeah. is when you explain them, they're so much funnier. <laughs> yeah.
3: She was really good at cutting through just the kind of crap excuses, wasn't she? And still is, you know? She just, mm. just goes, no, that's not true. This is this is how it is. And she makes it funny. And mm. that's why I like Judith anyway. Mm.
0: <laughs> Barge uh, Where's me bloody dim sims? Episode three. <laughs> and it's starring... <laughs> Hey. Sorry, stealing that joke from another uh, Tony Martin show. Uh, yeah, Kim Beasley.
2: I love the Kim Beasley theme. I have to confess, and I don't know, I'm sure you've canvassed this on the pod many times, I am more of an olden days girl than a barjas
0: girl. I, I agree. I, I'm more of an olden days person. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about which side I
4: would pick in this. Uh, I mean, certainly, if you're talking about quantity, yeah, there's certainly more of the olden days to go around.
7: And if you're talking about farts, then there's more. Bajas. <laughs> yeah.
1: I,
3: I like both. I, I like both. I think, you know, obviously, you could probably argue that the olden days is is the more intellectual of the pair, given that mm. it's not so based on fart yeah. jokes. But then, on the other hand, I really enjoy fart jokes, and yes. there are some great there are some great ones in this. And and also, you know, think about the writing talent who's involved in bar you know, this, this episode, for example, is adapted from the play by George Bernard Shaw. Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you don't, you don't that.
7: Time, yeah.
3: yeah, we had Franz Kafka yeah. based on the novel by Franz Kafka. You don't get that level of writing yeah. excellence
5: on
1: that the old days.
5: That is very true. My order's simple: a shitload of dim sims. Oh, <laughs> that's a lot, even for a fat bastard like you. And I want a bucket of soya sauce with that.
7: Yeah, there's some really dramatic moments in this with the train that just would not stop. <laughs>
1: yeah.
4: <laughs> I can I can so tell that that joke is is pure Tony Martin because he's. Uh, I'm sure he's, he's done similar sort of uh, jokes like that where things take up a lot of time and it sort of goes from being funny to not funny to being funny again. And he's yes. like, it's also... He's, he's talked about being influenced by The Goon Show, which is a 1950s British uh, radio comedy, where, yeah, they would spend a good full two minutes you know falling down
2: down a flight of stairs for instance mm. uh mike myers is, does a similar thing if you look at like a lot of the austin powers movies and stuff it's just that mm. that push the joke to where it's not funny anymore and then push through it and then really you find this whole new plane of like what the hell is going on like the evil laughing and you know there's a bunch of um, uh evil laughing in austin powers i should say but yeah there's a bunch of yeah, just wear out their welcome and then all of a sudden they break you mentally and then you find a new a new yeah. joy in them all.
3: There's also um, that really great gag about with Glenn 20s in his car and he says, I can't I can't move the car because someone's bouncing up and down in my bonnet and you know, it's yeah. kind of it's like a nice kind of fourth wall joke about television production So you yeah. get all that well, kind of well, comedy in also, this as well.
4: When, when all the Crawford's productions specifically they would have somebody bouncing up and down on like a plank that's sticking out of the car to try and simulate movement yeah oh okay that's what the joke's about yeah but I, I think that was a trope sort of common to Crawford's productions as well
7: mm. including chances <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry things are going like up in and the, down for different what, reasons there. in the <laughs> sex scenes there's someone with a plank
3: under the mattress just bouncing <laughs> <up>. <laughs> I mean, we've all, we've all got kinks, but you know.
0: <laughs> Glen 20 being stuck. Barjas ends up going to the race course to, because he's just so hungry, he could eat a horse.
5: Uh, have you considered our smolder's board? It's your choice. Okay, I'll have the number five with black bean sauce.
0: <laughs> as well as Glen 20 does call in. Still stuck at the level crossing. And <laughs> uh, last time he ate a. Uh, 2,000 pound quadruped There was a problem with the plumbing Ah, flush or (laughs) (laughs) full. There we go,
4: ending on that old staple Toilet humour
0: Good on you writers So we've got commercial crime stoppers And Mick and Santa reflect on Sandhurst Machinery
1: Machinery. So that's the original Now
0: Sandhurst Machinery Was done a couple of episodes ago and so it was the one that John Farnham did a rendition of.
1: Sandhurst, <laughs>
0: And the single has gone gold, and so Santa has provided him with a toolbox. In musical <laughs>
5: circles, folks, the toolbox is more important than a Grammy. Yeah. I mean, it's got one, it's, <laughs> 200 jokes between us. Too.
6: <laughs> <laughs> and we're struggling on the crime stopper desk, can't we?
4: And uh, I'm pretty sure that gold record had a Mushroom Records label on it, which makes me think that it might have been one of the D-generation's own records, perhaps. Mm. Mm,
3: interesting. Makes sense. Five in a row or five more in a row? Which one? I couldn't,
4: I, I couldn't quite work out from, again, my tapes are wearing out, you guys. You have to really, you know, you have to really squint.
0: <laughs> nice. But did you squint <laughs> enough to see the cameo from Alf Kemaliri? Uh,
4: no, he uh, stood out like the proverbial.
0: Yeah. But then they actually move on into proper commercials, such as uh, the, the well-known J&B mu- uh, music plugs, really like the cassette tapes that we all should still have uh, of a panpipe ad. A&B proudly presents
5: Panpipe
0: Masterpieces.
5: Our 44 most requested favourites played on the majestic panpipe, including the unforgettable theme from The Godfather. See, George Zamfir, I knew he was going to be involved. Uh, I just wonder whether the uh, the, the theme, theme, theme from Picnic at Hanging of Rock is going to on. get a mention.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course.
5: On cue. and cue
4: most 44 most requested panpipe songs who's <laughs> requesting this <laughs> it is
3: I, I don't
2: of, know i mean if you're I, on I a date let
3: us JB records
2: <laughs> <laughs> if you're on a date and you brought someone home or they took you home and they're like i'm just going to put on some relaxing music and then put on a, a 44 track album of panpipe classics across yeah. two compact discs i think you'd probably want to hit the road cuz that's a bit creepy <laughs> <laughs> it's it's an unsettling instrument the panpipe although maybe that's my you know cultural ingrained knowledge from picnic at hanging rock you know maybe that's why i find it unsettling cuz of the <laughs> yeah,
3: it's a bit sinister isn't it? i, I think if mm. i was bringing someone back to my place and i was going to stick on a bit of panpipe music. I'd probably go for Santo's panpipe album.
5: Panpipe magic, including Smoke on the Water, (laughs) Can the Can, (laughs) Sandhurst Machinery, (laughs) Ballroom Blitz, (laughs) Santos and pipe
2: magic. <laughs> the, the ballroom blitz one got me. Yeah, that actually did brilliant. get me. Triple really yeah. your panpipes.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, but there were a lot. There were a lot more on the screen that I didn't. I didn't note down. But there were a lot of um, like comfortably numb and uh, Beatles songs and Rolling Stone songs and um, others that were you just couldn't even fathom on a panpipe. So, yeah, they, they did a good job with the rolling text.
7: Yeah. The one that stood out for me was Con the Fruiters" a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember that one.
4: <laughs> Co-written by Colin Hay from Men at Work from Memory?
0: Yes. So they decide to reach out to the original composer of the Sandhurst machinery commercial to redo the Late Show theme.
1: It's a Saturday Late Show with the DJ on ABC. There's Tony Martin, Mick Molloy, Judith Lucy, and Jane Kennedy. <laughs> Saco Cholero, Jason Stevens, Rob Sitch, and Tommy G.
7: You'll see Graham and
1: the Colonel, and by for you. News desk, shit but breaking too, yeah. It's all on the late show on ABC TV. <laughs> see, they
0: cut it there, but there was plenty more, so whoever um was on stage whatever to keep the applause, you know, kickstart it. They went too early on it because there was still a little extra verse there.
2: Yes, I did notice mm. that. They kind of clapped over the whatever the end joke was gonna be, got lost.
4: Yeah. Mm. I, I I was too distracted by the pronunciation
0: of Santo Chilero.
2: <laughs> At least and it wasn't Snatto Garro. <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <okay.
0: laughs> the next bit is a commercial uh, all about U B forty screwing up your favorite hits.
1: <laughs> I love
0: this well, well, the basic
3: um, the basic gag is, and you know, there were a lot of people who kind of took the piss out of UB40 because you know they're white guys doing reggae essentially, and and so the indeed the um the tagline for this sort of
2: mock ad for a UB40 album is reggae at its whitest. <laughs> uh, I will note though that I think UB40, I saw this in the news, they're touring Australia this year. So you <laughs> talk about Duran Duran, <laughs> <Now yeah>. UB40 <laughs> it's still touring, still going. Yeah, interesting.
4: But yeah, it's it's also because they were mostly known for yeah, covers, so you know, Red Red Wine and um, I, I can't help falling in love with you. Um, I think those are the two big ones. I can't think of the third one. So, but the the the, the parody choices that they they choose for this market at are, are pretty good. Uh, going through Madonna's Like a Virgin and uh, mm-hmm. Don McLean's American Pie, Plastic Patron, Sapling Pour Moi. And then, of course, again, again, showing the triple M roots. hacker Yes, yes, that was fun.
0: Back on stage with another return of a classic uh, sketch, which is a live sketch, that is. And that is a new dinner party conversation.
1: Ah, yeah.
0: Dinner Party 3, People Who You Should Avoid.
3: Yeah. I'd com- I'd completely forgotten that they'd done this dinner party sketch, you know, because the the first two they did are so well-known from the compilations, and this one... Mm. completely forgotten about it.
4: I think it's just ever-diminishing returns is just yeah, why, yeah. why they, nothing, as far as I can tell from part three, made it to the best of.
7: Yeah, it's pretty forgettable. But uh, yeah, watching this, I thought, oh gosh, we're all going to start having, well, we're not really going to start having dinner parties, but uh, we're all <laughs> going to pretend to have dinner parties, so we better brush up on the etiquette. And <laughs> uh, yeah, so we, we are treated to, uh, well, <laughs> Rob Sitch, who's got his real-life medical background, talking about his dental surgery. There's always one of those. I thought that was the, the funny bit, but pretty much.
5: Did so I mention I've had my wisdom teeth <laughs> wow. yeah. out? Yeah. And the incredible thing is that this one impact, was impacted and, like, he had to get the pliers out oh, here and he had that expression where he was going and he goes Bang, and all the pus came
3: yeah. and, oh. mm. <laughs> Disgusting I really enjoyed R- Rob you know he's he's known in these sketches and for lots of other sketches actually for wearing the stupidest wig he could find in the ABC's wig department and I have to say this Rick Astley kind of ginger wig is really quite Oh god that's, that's yeah. so it
4: that's
2: so yeah, He's yeah, never yeah. going to give that up
0: <laughs> <laughs> Exactly
2: Exactly He's also got a very, very uh, nifty um, sugar glass, a sugar bottle of wine Um, when they were passing the wine bottle. I was like, it's so obviously
3: something they're going to (laughs) break, isn't it? You know, it's yeah, badly
2: made. (laughs) I suppose you've got limited time. Um, Yeah, I've I've used sugar glasses a couple of times when you you order them and they arrive and, like, they're definitely – definitely visibly, so I think they must, you know, you must probably paint them and put a label on them and then try and shoot them from a distance to make them look slightly more believable.
0: I like it, though, when it's the would-be comedian telling tedious old jokes. <clears throat> there
5: were these 14 guys. There was, a, there was an American, an Englishman, an Irishman. An Irishman or there was a Finnish guy. sure there was. Finnish. Not only there was a <laughs> Anyway, all these 29 guys, they were, they were on a bus. Sure. And Patty says... Whoa! Look at that bear sign.
0: <laughs> we um, we presume at this point Patty is Sicilian, but quite <laughs> open. Oh. And and the the bow
4: tie that Santo is wearing is doing a lot of the work for him as well.
0: <laughs> but yeah, as they go through all the characters, it's more or less um, a disaster after disaster with these. And I especially love the fact that they uh, brought someone. From the audience, who's the compulsive talker, and they just sat there. <laughs> yeah, she was sassy. Sadly.
2: Yeah, she was sassy. She was kind of like
3: that. Was very well timed that that drinking of the wine, wasn't it? She yeah. really did a good job there.
2: She'd seen the first two.
4: <laughs> we get things like um, yeah, uh, Judith as the compulsive dishwasher, and Jane as the victim of a recent breakup. Um, and it's all pretty much by the numbers, but I, I think that um the the ending um is a lot better than the the journey as it were who's for coffee
3: i'll have an espresso thanks mm. and one of those little small
6: cups cuz they're here to clean right. i'll have a lungo macchiato I'll
5: have a... Uh... When you're ready. I'll have a cafe latte, per favore. Per me Credo per me un cup of tea. OK. Three coffees and one tea. And uh, what were you after?
0: Uh, I'm just here to introduce the toilet break, actually. Tony coming up from underneath the table.
3: Yeah, he's been under the table the whole sketch.
0: Oh, God. Dedication. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Only to lead into the toilet break, which is Act Six. Michael Warren singing Elvis's "Don't Cry, Daddy." Don't
1: cry, Daddy. Daddy, please don't cry.
0: The highly confident Michael Warren, uh, and I use those <laughs> quotes as a. <laughs> well,
4: he's
0: he's going to be a legend.
4: And a millionaire by the time he's thirty. Well that's
0: just Well, team. we all
2: know him, don't we? We all know the name. Yeah. Michael Warren.
0: Yep. And this is Bernard's response. I'm just recovering from the <laughs> misery of crying.
5: Do you have a very particular ambition, young man?
6: A very big one. I'm gonna be a legend. Only business gonna be a legend. No, I'm gonna be an entertainer or everything. I wanna make movies. And... Are you? <laughs> Within
1: yep. how many years do you expect to achieve this? Experience? I'll be a
6: millionaire by the time I'm
1: 30.
7: Yes. I suppose in this crowded and confused world there's room for yet another dithering, shambling mess who just <laughs> to The modern entertainment business is so perverse, if you find a gimmick, there might be a gimmick you could add to the
4: little that you have to offer that
1: might <laughs> stripping might do it. At 16, it
4: needs something. Uh Poor, poor Michael. Like just yeah. like putting, putting putting his head up there and just getting absolutely like you can you can see the 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 glee in Bernard King's eyes going, Oh, you're going to be a legend, are you? And sort of like just absolutely counting him down.
0: I wondered what he was up to and I managed to reach yeah. out to Michael Warren and this is what the legend had to say. Michael Warren, thank you for joining this podcast.
6: No problem, thanks for asking me.
0: We're talking about your appearance on Potluck and it was also featured on the late show Toilet Break. You sang on Potluck uh, performing an Elvis cover of Don't Cry Daddy. Correct, yeah. It's one of my favourite songs. Now, you are a major Elvis fan, aren't you?
6: A freak, yeah. Major Elvis freak since I was five. How did you
0: get onto Potluck?
6: Well, they had an audition process, but I can't really remember the audition that well. I sort of remember showing up and I think I sang along to the recording, I think. I'm not sure. I can't remember. But I gave them the tape and, and they sort of duplicated the orchestrations and, and that's what happened.
0: What year was this filmed in? 87. And this was all filmed in Adelaide, wasn't
6: it? It was in Adelaide, yeah. I think I think that show travelled around. So they would come to Adelaide and then they'd go to Melbourne and stuff like that. I think, I think that's how it worked. I was given the microphone and... I came in late. I sort of couldn't listen to the music properly and I just came in late and I thought, oh shit, what am I going to do? And then the microphone didn't work. So that was like my saving grace and so I stopped. I said, oh, your microphone doesn't work and they changed the microphone and I just did it again. And so the one you see on the show is actually the second take. Bernard King told me that I should be a stripper and whole bunch of stuff. What
0: was your reaction to Bernard's comments, uh, even though he was known to be a, quite a harsh judge?
6: he was, Yeah, he was. Uh, I don't think he was as harsh with me as he was with some others. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, you're sort of expecting it. Patsy Biscoe the one, is the one that got me because um, uh, I actually have epilepsy and ang- anxiety brings on the seizures. And um, I remember once I wrote a song for my cousin's girlfriend, who's now his wife, and I couldn't get through the song because I kept having seizures all the time because I was so nervous. And, um, and I thought, what am I going to do? Because I don't want that to happen on TV. So I actually had a stubby of beer and a couple of Serapax to sort of <laughs> calm down a bit. Yeah. And I managed to get through it without an issue. <laughs> but when Patsy Biscoe, Patsy Bisco comes on and she says, "I've never seen anyone so relaxed in front of a camera before." <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you know why. <laughs> Go to <Serapax. laughs> yeah. Well, On the spot, obviously you're nervous, but also underlining, you, you just you want to be successful, with like you're aiming for the stars. So, are you a yeah, millionaire? Right, are you a millionaire right now? No. <laughs> uh, you became a millionaire. I'm getting,
6: I'm getting married in October,
0: oh, so congratulations,
6: I'm Richie. I'm sort of rich, like. I'm rich in the heart Congratulations to that Thanks a lot
0: So did you um, end up being in other entertainment venues Like or making movies and, or TV series Or did you just continue on with um, your, your recording?
6: No, I just continued doing what I was doing I did uh, one song on another show uh, I can't remember if it was before or after I think it was after actually I sang that, That'll Be The Day or something On some morning show in Adelaide um, That went over alright um, what else did I do? Uh, that's about it really I'm, I'm, I, I still record I write songs and record I started writing songs then But I wasn't really confident enough To do any of my own stuff So I did Elvis Because it's what I knew
0: D- Did you end up winning Like with a score of 16 From Bernard anyway
6: I got score of 47 Which was the second lowest
0: Ouch at least I'm not the lowest Are You a fan of the Degeneration uh, late show When it was on TV I did watch it
6: And I watched it um, that night it was on And the next day I uh, went into town Went to a favourite record shop Where everyone knew me And every one of them saw it as
0: well it was, it
6: was quite a cultish show that show was At the time Everyone watched it
0: When you saw it Did you uh, freak out Or did you just like Oh my god Before it
6: was over I got phone calls You're on TV you on TV I know
0: they're just so casual. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm aware
6: of that. Yeah, I'm cool. I'm cool. Yeah, inside, though, I'm freaking out. And after the late show, they remembered me. I I, I was getting stopped in the street for 20 years after that. I couldn't believe it. I remember once I was walking down the street and these um, DJs were doing a live to air thing in the street. And one guy got up and started following me, asked me, Are you Michael Warren? I said, Yeah. He says, you're on potluck. You want to come back and do an interview? So I did an interview with the guy and that was it. That was like maybe nearly 20 years later after the late show.
0: That's crazy. And then 30 years later, I'm having a Zoom chat with you.
6: I get a phone call from you. I I used to always say, you know, imagine what I could do if I did something good. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Unbelievable. How did you find him? I've got my ways.
6: (laughs) That's
7: so cool. (laughs) So he's not a millionaire. He's not rich, but he's rich in his heart. So congratulations on your upcoming wedding.
0: Yes. Well done, Michael. (laughs) And thank you so much for chatting um, to the podcast. So, um, and he's very quite humble. So um, Mm. totally opposite to we're all judging him on toilet. Break, really, but <laughs> but please stay tuned to the end of this podcast where um, he's given me a song to play just to show that he's come a long way as well. So, um, as Aww. a big thank you for being part of the show, so his website, wow. even this
4: podcast, gets a musical finale,
0: yeah. yeah. So, his yeah. website, if you want to check out his stuff, is my songs music, it's mai songs music.com. It goes under the stage name of Lucky Jackson which is a character that Elvis Presley plays in his movies. So
2: Ah,
0: that's the whole Elvis connection.
2: That is so nice.
0: Yeah, so thank you again, Michael, for being a good sport.
4: Okay, so leaderboard time. So um, Michael Warren got 16 points from Bernard. Now that puts him equal seventh on the leaderboard, uh, tying with the Nelligan sisters who uh, sang True Blue in episode five.
0: Now it's time for Graham Graham and the Colonel, yeah. And this is all about tennis and chess and props, really. Uh, but Wally Masoa in the US Open got a whole, uh, sorry, got in with a note from his mum. I don't get that one. He, they,
3: they said he was like 100 and something in the world rankings. So he sort of scraped an entry ah. into the, the tournament, I think is the gag.
0: Gotcha. And uh, chess is changing with some incredible innovations.
5: They've introduced some uh, new pieces. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You know, they've got rid of the rooks, right? Boring. And they've replaced them. Mm. In one corner, there's the diving man from Mousetrap. Oh, I see.
1: Yeah. <laughs> He's there.
5: You've got to drop a marble on him, and then he goes, right? And what yeah. about the other I mean, rook? There's a battling top. Oh, really? Go. That'd be like playing... <laughs> Crash. It's all in the wrist action. <laughs> That'd be like playing your joker, wouldn't it? Just... It... Bang! <laughs> they're all gone. That is very really exciting. And you know what? In a few weeks' time, they're introducing... no. No, no, no. <laughs>
4: Yeah, pretty much the the joke here is World
0: Series chess. Yep, and uh, also... Oh, what have I got here? It's all about the approach, really, getting the crowd involved. Kasparov's
5: a wanker. <laughs> Kasparov's a wanker. We must move on. <laughs> Raymond Colonel are the wankers. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> they they joined in a little quick for my... a <laughs> while. Yeah.
0: And also there's Merv Hughes's injury, which they go into... The, it's strenuous detail, yeah. Uh, a really weird joke, really weird visual joke.
2: Yeah, I it didn't quite. I, was it supposed to be a nose? It didn't look like a nose. It was,
4: it yeah. was a well, it was a diagram of uh, a, a leg and a knee, but sort of made to so that um uh, the colonel could interpret it as a mo. It was a sort of Mr. Squiggle type joke, wasn't it, really.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yes, but it didn't. They didn't turn the. No. <laughs> was, yeah. Maybe they did it better in rehearsal, and then they screwed it up. On yeah, the I think that's. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. And then, sort of, uh, towards the end of, of the uh, Graham and the Colonel bit, Rob seems to get really, um, really weird. I think sort of doing a lot of leaning over the desk and trying to, I don't know, just trying trying to gee up everybody. I think.
3: Yeah, he. he th- I guess he's thinking that you know it's kind of dying a bit you know because the the sort of the night chess they they built this elaborate night chess plot and then it just sort of died comedically so mm. so rob was just sort of leaning over the desk to try and make the audience laugh and just keep them on side um but he kind of needn't have done that because there's some quite good jokes at the end like they're talking about strepsils and how that was invented by lord alfred <laughs> strepsal and then the barocca was invented by the marquis de baroque you know which is kind which is sort of Decent sort of um, Graham and the Colonel gags But there is a bit Sort of In the middle of Their routine Where they're sort of Struggling a bit I think mm.
0: But I do like that When they did talk about The 2000 Olympic decision uh, Being two weeks away uh, What are Sydney's chances?
5: They are very good On three levels <laughs> Superb sporting facilities Organised travel arrangements And all important This is the big one The number three IOC President Samaranch can add an extra syllable when he reads out the name. Do you remember that? <laughs> do you remember that? Atalanta. At-a-lanta. See, so he can say Sydney. Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> can't do that with Beijing. You can't do it with Beijing. Beijing. <laughs> Manchester. What are you going to do with Manchester. A
0: <laughs> and what a foreshadowing because. The winner is Sydney.
5: But that's... Spoilers!
2: I, I was going to wait two weeks to find out Aww. that. He just, yeah. So, I just, so this is extraordinary because I had this conversation with, I mentioned my friend Dan who's staying with me, who is a massive late show person. He pulled me up because I said, oh, that's right, because they I, I, I didn't know that they'd done this and they'd foreshadowed that Juan Antonio Samaranch ended up saying Sydney. And Dan said, no, he never said Sydney. He he shortened it because they went back the next week. So it in next week's city. podcast and he, he and they t- apparently in next week's Graham of the Colonel they talk about him dropping a vowel as opposed to adding one. So they, they, they he he didn't pronounce the N, he just said city. Uh, and so I went I remember him saying Sydney. I remember it. And they all jumped up. I remember it. And he said, no, you remember Graham and the Colonel saying Sydney. Mm. They're the ones who popularized it. And I went, no way. And I went and looked up the YouTube clip and heard what you just played and and was like, oh, my God, this is a Mandela effect where I've remembered it. Mm. Yeah, this is exactly it. The late show memories have implanted what – really happened. So yeah, he said Sydney as opposed to Sydney.
7: It's what we all believe because this is where it all started when we all assumed he said Sydney, but he he mm. didn't, he never said it. And, and they did acknowledge that the, the week after the announcement, but we still just kept saying Sydney, Sydney, mm. even though he didn't say it at all. Mm.
2: So that's probably, that was probably my biggest revelation out of this episode was holy crap, all this time I've believed one Antonio Samarit said <laughs> Sydney. It's like yeah, so that's my world's been shattered.
0: You're not going to get this, Nat, but it's like shit and chick magnet all over again.
2: Oh no! <laughs>
7: not that again.
0: Don't, don't worry, Nat. Don't worry. Nat.
1: <laughs> this, this
7: one's much more widespread. I think there's a, a greater range of people who who know the truth.
4: Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the it's the the late show version of. Um, um, Laurel and um, oh, what's the other
7: Nanny. one? Yanni. That's yeah,
4: the yeah, one that
0: and here. Laurel. Yeah. yeah. Alright, we'll move on and now we have the closing uh, musical finale and Mick was meant to get Joan Jett but he ends up getting
1: And I could tell it wouldn't be long till he was with me yeah, me
0: Joan Kerner shredding, (laughs) I love rock and roll.
2: I I mean, that's got to be the most iconic thing that came out of this episode in terms of longevity.
0: Oh, 100%. And Sydney. And And Sydney. Sydney. And
7: Sydney, yeah. The last 10 minutes, basically, just had... Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I was going to say, I tried to, and unfortunately, um, Joan Kerner is no longer with us, um, but I did try to reach out to David White, who's still around kicking. um, And I even reached out to the Victorian Parliament, and now they've blacklisted my email, but um, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, I tried to do it, but I wasn't successful. Uh, but Deborah at the inquiry desk saying that she remembers to clip well, a classic. So, yeah. In truth, she gave me another email for all the retired parliament members, and uh, just to say to email them. And uh, see what happens, but nothing. Hurt, well, I hurt, didn't hear anything from him. So, yeah, oh, well, I tried. I was going
2: to say that she rocked it, and I think had she been able to sing, the clip would not be as legendary as it is.
3: Yeah, that's what makes it, isn't it? The
2: those bum notes. She just goes goes for it, and you can see her reading the auto cue of the. <laughs> Obviously, they have the lines on a screen or something like that. And you can see her just looking down and reading the lines, but she's just going for it. And then contrast that with uh, David White when they, you know, yeah. turn to him and he's so serious. Like he's in the full yes. politician suit and he's got the, the you know, the receding hairline, but he's looking down at the guitar just so seriously. And there's something, there's something very, beautiful in that, that the ridiculousness of this very proper looking man <laughs> fake playing a guitar
4: I think also um, not to be discounted is the whole surprise of it like a former Victorian premier is the last person you would expect to pop up you know <laughs> singing a Joan Jet song on national TV
0: well I was going to say that a uh, listener of the podcast Peter Phoebe sent through a Joan Kerner article based on uh, this And he Mm. does mention, and I do apologise I didn't really proofread the email He asked Jane Kennedy about 10 years ago at a book sighting About who was the hardest person to get to sing on the Late Show musical finales Now, this this has two answers uh, to the question The hardest booking-wise was Joan Kerner And singing-wise apparently was a future musical finale Which I won't mention yet So there's a no (laughs) spoiler, but I
4: I have heard them singing um, in another context, and uh, I can confirm that, um, yeah, singing wise, uh, yeah, very hard.
0: But yeah, let's let's not spoil things. No, but I will tweet (laughs) out and post on Facebook the articles so you can read for yourself. So it's pretty interesting.
2: I think uh, uh, why I think that probably worked extra well for Joan Kerner too is that she'd lost an election to Jeff Kennett, who by then had become very, I think, unpopular with a lot of cuts and, you know, strong economic management type type of government. And so all of a sudden you've got this... Um, former premier who's gone, yeah, putting on a leather jacket, singing some comedy with the Zero fun ex- people on the ABC. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think the um, jacket that she wore ended up in a museum or an exhibition of something like that at some point. Didn't
0: mm. it ended up in Acme or wherever it was. The... Yeah,
2: yeah, something like that. I can't remember the details, but I heard it in a snatched conversation once. Don't quote me. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a... A, a, a lovely humanizing moment for a politician and yeah. that has shown them that they can work and they can also maybe not work <laughs> you have to really you have to pick your pick your battles
3: yes yeah, skomo skomo in his um ukulele maybe less worked <laughs> i would say
0: now <laughs> someone in the at the very end for the audience tickets daniel uh
4: yeah well um Again, possibly as, com- as compensation for being dragged out of the audience, we had Diane from the uh, Dinner Party uh, Mark III sketch, um, who did a very good job of uh, reading out the phone number and saying you've got to ring on Monday between 10 and
0: 11am. And I was going to mention too, which I was going to throw to you originally, the credits. Was there any Easter eggs?
4: So these uh, end credits were a bit harder to read because um, every single week previously, they would just been scrolling from bottom to top. Just up the screen, but um, this episode they were running horizontally from right to le- uh, yeah from right to left um, at the top and the bottom of the screen. So a bit harder to pause through on the old VHS. But uh, from what I could decipher, uh, the special guests were Andrew Daddo, the Honourable Joan Kerner AM, Glenn Wheatley, mm-hmm. and the Honourable David White MLC, with uh, Caroline Ailet and uh, Nina Landis. Um, they also said thanks to ABC News, Ron Cruz, uh, the Melbourne Metro nightclub. That's where uh, the Joan Koerner, uh piece was uh, filmed. Paul Mulqueen, uh, the Reefton Hotel, McMahon's Creek. Um, I'm not quite sure what that would have been used for. My guess is that it might have been uh, the balcony. Oh. oh, yes. Yeah, I was thinking more um, that might have been the balcony that Mick um, walks out on when he's... Uh, Pretending to be Michael Jackson, but no, no, well. you're, you're right. You're right. It would yeah. be, it'd be snowy. Uh, and as usual, uh, Lucky Lucky Grills, the estate of the late Greta Nicholson, and uh, John Deirdrick who we're still on the search for.
0: Yes, the hunt for Diedrich. Uh
4: Now, also, uh, I flagged last episode that Dame Aru had uh, appeared on the list of entities that the Dear Generation would like to thank. Um, it looks like there's been another one that's been added to the list uh, along with Apocalypse, Sports Girl, The Facility, and Triple M FM. There's now also Apple Computer slash Choice Systems. So obviously Mm -hmm. they must have gotten a discounted Mm -hmm. Mac or something.
0: Aww. That can be the only reason. All right. So thank you very much for that, Daniel. And now that's it for episode 33 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. So feel free to reach out to us. Email champagneladeshow at gmail.com, twitter at tlschampagne, ChampagneComedy.com Facebook The Late Show page or search for the Champagne Comedy Podcasters group as well on Facebook it's on private but answer the three questions and you're in also our shoddy red bubble site bit.ly slash champagne comedy where you buy our stuff before it gets taken down so I just want to say a big Thank you, uh, Natalie, for joining, um, for being on the show.
2: Thank you so much. I'm so excited I could make an episode recording. Matt has asked me previously and I haven't been able to make it and I'm so happy I did. So thank you so much for having me.
0: And I do apologise, everyone. <laughs> I've been a bit under the weather. So, yeah, thank you for dealing with me with that. So. Yeah, um, yeah. It's been fun, Nat. Yeah,
7: yeah, it's been an honor to meet another Late Show fan. Oh, yeah, great to have you with us, Nat.
0: Do you have anything to quickly plug?
2: Yes, I do have something to plug. Thank you for asking. Uh, I also have a podcast. It's called Raven On. And I. Co-host it with at Disco Stew on Twitter. This is Stuart Late. He is a journalist and a very, very long-held buddy of mine. We started the podcast as a Game of Thrones podcast back in 2015. And since Game of Thrones ended, under somewhat cloudy circumstances, we have been podcasting about just other pop culture. Things, TV shows, movies. We did a big James Bond retrospective through 2020. That was our pandemic project. And since then, we've done a few Marvel TV shows. We just finished up a Batman retrospective. So we called it Raven Bat. So we went back and watched all the Batman movies and sort of recap those. And we've just started uh, a Robin Hood retrospective. So if you like Robin Hood movies or...
0: If Man you in don't tides,
2: like Man them, we, go, we are doing men in tights. I've had a few questions about that. We will do men in tights, but yeah, so we're going back and doing. I mean, there are heaps of Robin Hood TV shows and movies, so we're doing a curated list of probably it's the best a good, known It's a ones. good
4: subject area to get your teeth stuck into.
2: Yeah, well, just There's how do different movies treat the the leg, I guess the the legend of Robin Hood? Um, how do they manage the different bad guys involved? How do they play Maid Marian? All that kind of stuff. Uh, and that's very precious to me because Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is, is one of my very, very, very favourite films. Uh, love it in childhood. Love it to this day. We'll defend it to the hilt. I will kill you if you disagree with me. Uh, so if you do disagree <laughs> with me, listen to Raven On. Uh, you can find it on your regular podcast circles. But if you just look up Raven, R-A-V-E-N On, uh, pop culture podcast hopefully it'll turn up for you in your podcast feed um, I also run a small company in Brisbane called Act React if you go to actreact.com.au we do comedy shows and theatre shows and you know obviously a lot of it inspired or assets of humour inspired by people like Tony Martin and things like that so we do a lot of parodies uh, satires, pop culture inspired stuff and we've got shows coming up in the Brisbane Comedy Festival uh, in May 2022. So if you are in Brisbane I would love to see you there. So those are my plugs and if you want to chat, at Girl Clumsy on Twitter is my handle.
0: Excellent. Alright, well thank you very much, Matt um, as well as Alison, Daniel and Kim. Hooray, we made it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. See, catch Bye. you
2: next time. Champagne. comedy